talk Tatis Monday August 15th just baseball show Jack McMullen Aram Layton Fernando Tatis 80 games after he missed the first what 105 uh after a brain dead decision he makes another brain dead decision this is a a very interesting pattern from a young Alex Rodriguez and you had a perfect remark on the Twittersphere about that arm free my dog he was just trying to treat some some ringworm (laughs) I don't know you ever had ringworm, man? No, I have not. Um, it's tough. But- I would take any pill given to me, too. That Tatis, free Tatis. I think that's the new. No, but actually, I'll tell you what the tweet was because I am very disappointed. Um, and this is how I cope. Um, I said that Fernando Tatis Jr. took the A-Rod comps way too seriously. <laughs> and, um, you know, you tweet like one sentence. You don't really know what's going to happen there. And that one really, uh, really blew up. But, um, you know, it, it, it's. It's true in the respect that these are two players that are so freaking talented. I don't know if I said this on the podcast or off of it the other day. Um, I know I mentioned it in in a text chat with you, but I was saying if I could ask A-Rod one thing, I would ask him why the hell he was so hell-bent on continuing to take steroids because it was something that he repeatedly did, obviously, given how talented he was, right? If if A-Rod never took steroids, I don't know what the numbers would exactly have looked like, but I bet a lot of money they'd be Hall of Fame caliber. Yeah. I think we've seen enough Fernando Tatis to be able to say that without steroids, this guy would still be one of the best players in the game. And that's where it gets the most frustrating. I don't care when Melky Cabrera takes takes roids. I You're don't right. care. Whatever. Um, I, I care when the extremely talented players that maybe don't need it take it. I don't know if this was something to get back from the broken wrist. I don't know what, you know, because obviously that was taking longer than they expected. But I mean, it's just one of those things where baseball continues to just give itself black eyes because it's that's supposed to be the face of the game, right? You know, that's supposed to be the the future. That's the guy that you're peddling everywhere. You still see the commercials all over the place. You go to just baseball.com, his pictures everywhere. You go to our YouTube, his pictures everywhere. You go to our Twitter, his pictures everywhere because it's reflective of what he represents, which is kind of like the next gen. Yeah. And he kind of fucked it. <laughs> I saw somebody tweet. It honestly might have been Nightingale. I saw Bob Nightingale um, tweet about the Dairy Queen curse. You see that Dairy Queen handpicked four guys to leave their MLB like uh, ad program, like to to be the face of all those Dairy Queen commercials on MLB telecasts. It was Fernando Tatis Jr., Tim Anderson, who's got a torn ligament in his hand and also had those marital issues earlier this year that kind of got swept under the rug. Bryce Harper, who's dealt with injuries all year long, and Cody Bellinger, who is a shell of his former self. So they they went 0 for 4 in the Dairy Queen department. So that is the Dairy Queen curse. Wow. I mean, that, I, well, athletes shouldn't be shouldn't be eating ice cream. I still I, I maintain that dairy is a hormone cocktail yeah. and no bueno. 
So no bueno. Maybe that's what it is. It could be what it is. Um, but getting back to Tatis, here's why I love um, your point on the A-Rod comp. Because Alex Rodriguez, statistically, if you were to not know any of the backstory, you were to look at Alex Rodriguez, you could put him up against Babe Ruth. You could put him Literally up against Willie Mays, ever. Hank Aaron. Statistically, he's one of the greatest players of all time. But because of reputation, because of track record, because of how he approached daily life in baseball, he will never, ever, ever be in the conversation of greatest of all time. Fernando Tatis was quickly on the trajectory of becoming one of the greatest of all time. Now he will never do that because he just chopped off, like A-Rod, the reputation aspect of being the greatest of all time. Simple as that. Fernando Tatis could have a 20-year career, put up some insane numbers, and be statistically one of the best to ever play this game. But he will never, ever, ever be one of the greatest of all time. And that's so hard to say about a 23-year-old that took the world by storm last year. And that's what sucks. That's what really sucks because I haven't fully digested that that side of it, right? I, I've thought about it and I almost like shut my brain down when we get there because we know that odds are, unless he continues to, to make mistakes, and I, I do think Fernando Tatis is going to learn from this. I do think he now senses that he is not invincible. He's not even a $300 million player is not invincible. And I'm sure A-Rod can, can attest to that as well, given that he got 162 yeah. uh, and also, you know, was not wanted in a lot of places. I, I think when you really look at, you know, what this does to Fernando Tatis and, 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 and really the long-term outlook, it, it's damaging in so many ways. And that's what kills me because we're talking about a guy that, yes, he had a lot of work to do to get to the hall of fame, but now he's pretty much based on track record here. He's disqualified from the Hall of Fame. And Correct. It might change. It might change. We've seen a slow progression and a slow shift. And this would be 20 something years, hopefully from now, where that where that would be the case if he puts together that kind of campaign. But it's just unbelievable that, you know, a 23 year old can can disqualify himself like this this early because they're really aren't very many guys that make baseball as exciting as Fernando Tatis. Well, and think about that. What's incredible about Tatis is how fun he made the game again. And we're talking about guys that can make baseball fun again. And Bryce Harper is certainly one of them. Trout's obviously one of them. Otani, one of them. Acuna, one of them. There are so many young, exciting stars that have the ability to make baseball must watch. But at the tippy, tippy top of that list is Fernando Tatis Jr., and that's why I'm sitting in the booth in Indianapolis last week, and I've got a kid that grew up in Indy walking in wearing a brown and gold Tatis jersey and wearing a Padres hat. I'm like, why are you a Padres fan? You guys from San Diego? He said, no, I like Tatis. Yeah. Like, I was in Fort Wayne the last two years, and I've got this Tatis bobblehead. It sits front and center in my studio apartment. There's not much room for decor in a studio apartment, but like, Tatis making a leaping grab as an 18-year-old in a, in a low-A jersey here. <laughs> like, yes, he can make bobbleheads like that, and people are going to buy it very willingly for 30 35 bucks in the team store. That's who Fernando Tatis is. He decided to make the next generation super fans of him because of how exciting he was. And now it's so hard to look at him and say, yeah, that's still warrant. Is what he does on the field more exciting than pretty much anybody else. Yeah. Like the only guy that's probably more exciting than him is Otani. But what Tatis does might actually be more visibly pleasing 
than yep. what Otani does. He just fucked himself, man. Yeah. He just royally ruined himself and he set himself back. And it was out of a purely selfish point of view. Yeah. Um, so we're not buying the uh the this the skincare routine. The ringworm thing was so what I was reading was uh sounds like he Googled something, right? And yeah, so he tried to um he tried to convince America that they couldn't read. Um, because close to ball, which well, is what which, he tested is- positive for. That's not With, the craziest, craziest attempts. Yeah, no, I mean, I can't read, but like, what was it? <laughs> close to ball versus close stepanol or something? Yeah, like that's that's basically what, what it would break down to is something like that sort of difference. But apparently I was even reading something as, as funny as if you Google the two separate ones, sometimes a lot of search results like mix them up still. Like Google literally mixes them up. So yeah. he, I think he must have done that. But what's crazy is where's this agent on that one? Um, Like- are they not vetting that excuse out? Because, I mean, clearly it, it was a pretty embarrassing excuse to make and now look makes it look even worse. Um, and, and to wrap up on the whole Tatis thing in terms of you know how he screwed himself, from this lens, though, here's the positive thing. He's 23. He will be back early next season. You don't have to worry about him rushing back from this wrist injury now, obviously. And he has a long career ahead of him still where he can – he can still make up for a lot of his early mistakes. And I do think that there's a level of forgiveness that comes back. And I'm not saying Hall of Fame, legacy, those things. That'll always cast a shadow over. But the way that, you know, Andy Pettit or Jason Giambi, you know, were able to kind of circle back and still be likable players, even a. How about David Ortiz? Well, yeah, that's 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 a whole different story, right? Because he somehow had plausible deniability there. And we were able to pretend that 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 didn't actually I'm saying like like took the suspension and and had to deal with it. I, I do think that if someone's going to kind of turn things around and and make you, you know, almost forget about it from time to time, it's Tatis because he's got about 15 years to do so. He's still one of the best players. He can prove that he is really good when clean. And I'm not saying that undoes the past, but I think it can kind of allow us to turn a chapter, recognize chapter one or chapter two, whatever you want to call this one. And, and still enjoy Tatis for what he is. And, and I want to do that too. Like, I don't want to be the guy that's always like, oh, the juice. Oh, the juice. The juice. Like, I don't want to keep bringing that up. We're going to talk about it for a little bit. But once he's back and he's playing again, like, I, I understand it's a point to bring up and it's an asterisk, but like, he's still Fernando Tatis Jr. And you got to talk about who he is on the field as, as it's happening. I, I, I do, I do want to be like cognizant of that. I know, but again, it's it's so hard to shed that. Like, I, I don't know. It's going to take five or six years of him playing for him to shed that being the precursor yeah. to any conversation about Tatis. For sure. Because Absolutely. the positive test is so rare right now. That's the thing. Like that's a, yeah, It doesn't happen. Like It doesn't happen. In the early to mid-2000s. Derek Dietrich was the other fucking guy that got popped. Like that's, Those are the guys Severino. that are supposed to get popped. Yeah, that's who yeah. gets the, the guy in AAA trying to just like catch a hot streak and make a few couple hundred thousand dollars extra. Like that's the guy that should get popped. It's not yeah. fucking Fernando Tatis. No. And like, I think the last really notable star player that got popped was Yasmani Grandal very early in his career. And Grandal respectfully is nowhere close to the stratosphere that Tatis is at already. Grandal has never been there. He will never be there. So it's a, t- it's an entirely different conversation. But people did turn the page to a degree and talk about him as a before this year as a really good catcher. And, you know, you kind of heard that PED narrative kind of 
Wayne participate, but it's just not as it wasn't as traumatic as as the Fernando Tatis news. Uh, and w- one last note, because I I love anytime some washed up uh, known asshole of a player speaks on things. Yeah, Jonathan Papelbon chimed in, which is nice. <laughs> I know you're wondering where this was going. Jonathan Papelbon had a quote on I think it was WEI, which is just so funny. He goes, this whole Tati stuff, man. It almost enrages me, Papelbon said. I worked my ass off so long and so hard and did it the right way. For me to see something like that, it hurts me so bad. I'll tell you right now. If I was pitching, every single time I face that dude, I'm drilling him. I don't care if I'm bringing in a run and losing the game. Shut the fuck up, dude. <laughs> Shut up. I hate John. <laughs> what an idiot. Um, who started the fight in D.C.? Was it Papelbon or Harper? I, I don't know. I would assume Papelbon, but even if it was Harper, Harper was 20, bro. Like you're, you're a vet, like figure it out. Yeah. Like grow up here, dude. Yeah. Um, man. Yeah. Last thing that I want to mention is, is Clevenger and Preller's remarks. Yes. No, that that's actually an important note in all of this. Yeah. So let's start with Clevenger. Um, and this is all from Dennis Lynn at the athletic. Uh, Dennis has been on the ball. He, he is amazing with Padres coverage all the time. But with a story like this, you got to be on. And he is absolutely on right now. So if you have a subscription to The Athletic, I highly recommend going to read anything that Dennis Lynn has put out in the last couple of days, a la Tatis, or re Tatis. Um, but this is from Clevenger. Quote, it's the second time we've been disappointed with him, and you hope he grows up and learns from this and learns that it's about more than just him right now. That cuts really, really deep. And then how about this from the guy who was sitting next to you after you signed your $340 million deal from AJ Preller quote, I think we're hoping that from the off season to now that there would be some maturity. And obviously with the news today, it's more of a pattern and something we've got to dig a little bit more into. That's incredible to hear that from Clevenger, your teammate, to hear that from Preller, your general manager. And then how about what Machado said? We've gotten to this point without him. We've been very successful. We'll plan to move on and win without him. And that hurts bad. Well, and you know what the first thing I thought of when I heard those quotes and and read those? Remember last year when Manny Machado's in the face of Fernando Tatis saying, it's not about you. It's not about you. Like you go play baseball. It seems like that's the trend, right? And, um, He's not a, he's probably not a great teammate. I think that's, that's very clear uh, because he, we were talking about like, Oh, Machado's a fiery guy too last year. Like we don't know how it all went down, but now you look at it. I think the whole team is with Machado at this point. And I'm not saying it's Machado versus Tatis, but I think Machado was the guy that had the balls to speak up last year. Now this happens. Now everyone's starting to speak up, but it was happening last year, right? If, if Machado's going out there and saying, it's not about you, it's not about you. And look who else just said it's not about him. It was what Clevenger who said that. Clevenger like- got in trouble during the COVID season because he and Plesak went in, went out in Chicago. Like, yeah, and Clevenger cool. had an experience. He had a tangible experience where he literally made it about him. He got burned and he learned from it. Yeah, he has Tatis had. Else. I mean, Tatis had that experience with the broken wrist. Like, he made it about him. Or he with got Machado in the dugout. Yeah, I mean, dude, time and time again. Also, in retrospect, are we discovering that? Maybe last year was the point where Manny Machado started to turn into a leader. Yes. 
that that is that's the thing. Like that that was what's really cool about it all is is that you're seeing Machado turn into a leader. Um, and I wonder, do you think that? I mean, I, I know that teams are aware of imminent suspensions for sometimes weeks before you know yeah. that it, before it becomes public knowledge and, and be, before it becomes you know actually, I guess like put in motion. Yeah. Um, I wonder if this kind of pushed them forward to to make the trade for Soto. So a lot of people were asking that. I want to say I saw something that said Preller got the news on Friday afternoon with a phone call. So oh, wow. he did not know. Because I, I know in, in certain instances with players that they'll find out about a PED suspension sometimes weeks ahead, um, you know, like weeks before it's it's actually going to be reported or or actually put in motion. So it is a valid a valid question from fans. And I was curious if that one had been answered yet. Which is interesting because I think either way, I don't know. I don't know if it changes my approach if I'm Preller because, again, like Machado said, you've made it this far without him. You will feel good next year getting him back, presumably. And, and the move for Soto is a multi-year move, whether you extend him or not, which the the presumption is they extend him. I don't know if it really changes anything with the approach. If anything. I, it would make me more aggressive if I'm AJ Preller to go make that move for Soto. What do you think? Yeah, I think so too. Um, and I just confirmed he said AJ Preller and his media availability that he got a call from Major League Baseball's offices on Friday afternoon. That's when they found out. He found out maybe an hour before everybody else found out. Yeah. Um, so he did not, he made the Soto move blindly, expecting Tatis to be back. He was not back. And obviously we saw the video of Tatis and Soto dapping each other up like they were expecting to play together, I'm sure. Um, yeah, man. I mean, it's it's tough. Like, I I do think that this would warrant more aggression from AJ Preller um, because I think that he made the right move. I, I think that anybody in their right mind would have given Tatis this deal and and it's crazy to say like I oh, still would I still would I'll still be honest would. it's would. oh give like a 22 year old 340 million dollars yet did you see what he did the last two years when he's on the field he sells out your ballpark yeah no it's 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 a no-brainer and and again that was I see people starting to talk about the contract being bad and get out of here no he's making what 24 bad. million a year until he's 35 I'll I would take it right now right <laughs> I would now. take it right now so Let's let's not get carried away here. Um, it's it's still a good deal, and I think they'll still be able to to find a way to extend Soto, which is going to be interesting as well. But um, you know, the Padres, well, like they said, to wrap up on them. I mean, they they've made it this far without him. They're better than they were before the deadline. Obviously, getting Soto and Bell, they're going to be still a force, and I'm still very interested to watch. This might light a fire under them to a degree too. I I, I am interested to see how the team kind of comes together here, but it sounds like they're all on the same page. And um, I don't think they're going to be very phased by it. I really don't. I think so too. Um, the team in front of them, the LA Dodgers, they just got shut out by Kansas city. Brady singer was awesome again. Oh my God. Crazy for them. Um, singer is turned to page. Tyler Anderson just got his second loss of the season. He is <laughs> now 13 and two with a two, eight, one, but um, I think that snapped 11 in a row for the Dodgers or maybe 12 in a row for the Dodgers. They are the best team in baseball. They're not looking back and they've got a guy on the farm who just threw an immaculate inning yesterday and had some great stuff numbers yesterday that I know that you can pull. I mean, Dustin May looks like he will be back 
and will be shoving for the Dodgers, which makes them that much better. Oh, no, he looks he looks all the way back. You know, just even looking at some of the clips from yesterday's start and looking at some of the data there. I mean, average 98 miles an hour on the fastball. He, he was ma- mainly going, you know, four-seam sinker heavy. He threw 21 sinkers, he threw 19 four-seamers. Four-seamers sat at 98. Sinker sat at 97. And he just threw strikes, man. 54 strikes, 16 balls. He, they only had him at 17 or 70 pitches, excuse me. Um, they, they're still stretching him out. I think he's going to go one more where they're going to try to stretch him to 80, 85. And then in the big leagues, he'll kind of finish out that that progression and that stretch out. Uh, but I mean, it's, he's throwing bullpens with guys standing in, really. Like, that's what he's doing right now. No one's touching him. 10 Ks. Like, it, it's it's a joke for him. He, I think we kind of forget what he was on the precipice of when he was in the big leagues prior to the injury. This guy was starting to pitch to the level of, wow, this might be one of the next young stars in the game pitching wise. Like he was starting to look like a top 15 pitcher in baseball uh, before going down, which is what made the elbow injuries, you know, so frustrating. He's, he's still that guy. We know Tommy John's not really a big deal anymore. Um, This kind of puts the Dodgers in, in a, and don't forget Walker Bueller coming back, right? But may, and then maybe Bueller, depending on how he looks, I'm a little bit more concerned about how Bueller looks because that's a more ambiguous arm injury. Wasn't it a forearm strain? Yeah, which is yeah. usually yeah, the, the precursor, the, and that's not yeah. good because Walker has already had TJ. Exactly. But, I, I mean, Dustin May, even without Walker, changes things to another degree for, for, for the Dodgers. Yeah. He's going to shout out Brady Singer, too, because we, we shit on the, on the Royals so much yeah. um, for their pitching development. This here's here's a, a positive story developing out of. The, I'm I'm sold uh, to a degree on on what what's happening with with Brady Singer. I'm not saying he's gonna do this every time. I'm not saying he's an ace, but this is a big league middle of the rotation starter. Which shit, man, they didn't have any of those. So I, I like it. Right. What, what do you see in the last couple of starts out of Brady Singer? Because I know obviously he was struggling with command. He's not struggling with command as much anymore. Is it increased slider usage? Is it better placement with the fastball? Like. I don't necessarily know what I've seen. All I know is he's pounding the strike zone more, and he's got good enough stuff to survive and thrive within the strike zone. I think he was scared. He was nibbling a little bit at the beginning of his career, and now he's not nibbling anymore. Yeah, so it's, I think it's a couple things. The slider one is is dominant, and I, and I think he's tweaked it slightly to where he can spot it more. So he's using it versus lefties versus righties, whatever. But he's also mixing in just a few change-ups, just enough, like 8 to, to 9% change-ups, which is all you need to do to give a little bit of a taste break. And this is over the last four or five starts. He started to mix that change-up in around 8% of the time just to give another look there. But I really think it's the sinker-slider combination that he has perfected a bit more. And over his last, I believe it's five starts, he's racking up a 40% chase rate on his slider. Dang. So I think we're seeing Brady Singer take that Christian Javier, that Spencer Strider page out of that, out of their book and figuring out how, okay, if I can't develop the third pitch to at least be average, because I still think it's below average, you can show it though, which is still important. Let me figure out how to master these two pitches to the degree that nobody's hitting me. The fast, the, the sinker now is not getting hit at all. Like that was the thing. It would be sinker gets crushed slider is his bailout pitch he's getting in zone whiff on the on the sinker he's getting a ton of you know weak contact that's encouraging and then of course the slider now he's spotting up and really it, it's a problem uh for, for hitters right now so he's taking that that javier strider page 
and it's looked really good and, and, and I'm happy to see it. But I would honestly say to answer that question, I think the sinker is actually getting much better and more effective. And I think he's locating that much better. Uh, and I think that's kind of setting the tone for the rest of his arsenal. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I, I want to talk about the Braves for a moment here because what they did in Miami was absolutely ruthless. Yeah. They are a wagon. By the way, I saw our guy, Peter Pratt, King Pratt, tweet out that the Marlins have been held to three or fewer runs in their last 15 games. Yep. You have to luck your way into that. No, no, you don't. You don't. That's you don't incredible. Really three or fewer runs in the last 15 games. If if you put the, the Durham Bulls in the big leagues and they scored three runs or less for 15 games, would you say you have to luck your way into that? I think so. Wow. <laughs> then, then there you go. Then your point's valid because I, I just think they certifiably suck. Um, they have a sub 600 OPS against lefties. The Marlins do. That's it, incredible. It, so anytime you throw a guy with a left hand, like if I had to pitch against the Marlins, I'm a right-handed thrower. I would seriously consider throwing lefty because they're going to crush my 75 miles an hour from the right side, 65 from the left side. See what happens. So it was a four-game set with Atlanta at Lone Depot Park. They saw a righty, Jake Odorizzi, and they kind of got to Odorizzi. I think it was like eight hits in four innings or something. But what they just did over the weekend to complete the four-game sweep was absolutely incredible. It was borderline evil genius from Alex Anthopoulos. Gwinnett has probably the best starting rotation in all of minor league baseball. I mean, when... When the Indians were in Gwinnett uh, earlier this year, I was so impressed by who we were seeing because we were seeing Muller and then we were seeing Tucker Davidson, who's now in Anaheim. And then we were seeing Bryce Elder and then we were seeing Huascari Noah. It was absolutely insane. The pitching depth, nuts. So here's what Atlanta did. Kyle Muller with a splint on his glove hand. He was <laughs> literally wearing a softball glove to pitch carved through the Miami well, Marlins. On lefty, Saturday. lefty. Lefty. But then they go to Ian Anderson, who they just optioned to serve as the 27th man for the doubleheader. He threw pretty well against the Marlins. And then on Sunday, Bryce Elder struck out 10 against Miami. And here's what happened. The Braves called up Muller after his start. They optioned him. They they grabbed Anderson as the 27th man for the doubleheader. After his start in game two, they returned him to Gwinnett. They call up Bryce Elder after his start. They option him to Gwinnett. I mean, it was they're that hey, deep. We, they're that deep. They wanted to give their starting rotation two days off. They got two days off. They grabbed three AAA guys who completed a sweep of a team that can't hit right now, but regardless, a sweep of a major league team, and they optioned them back immediately following the game. Bro. That is boss mode. They could have called up Jared Schuster and he would have shoved it up their ass. I'm telling you, like, what do you think their the Marlins' OPS is against lefties? Uh, sub 600, you said? Yeah, it's 590. Oh, 211, 273, 317 slash line. It's a joke. So I love that play by the Braves. Rest some of your guys. Obviously, we, we saw Freed on the uh, concussion IL. Um, so they had to piece it together. They do. And then Von Grissom, man, I mean, to bring this man up after 20 games above high A and for what he did, which was in that Marlins series, 
two multi-hit games, the final game of the series. He went two for three with two walks, so he got on base four times. He's already hit two home runs. One was in the first game of his career against the Red Sox. Hit another one in one of the games against the Marlins. That was on the 13th. This guy has seven hits in his first 18 at-bats, hitting 389. He's getting on base in a near 500 clip. Like He is dynamic as all can be, but what team is pulling up their guys from double-A like this and expecting them to help them? The Braves. I, I know the White Sox did it, but then they didn't do it because Tony LaRusso didn't trust them. Yeah. The Braves are doing it, and Snit, an old-school manager, is buying in and trusting that Alex Anthopoulos is not going to bring somebody up that isn't ready. Michael Harris, I think, earned that trust, which, dude, he was phenomenal in this series. He's well. incredible, and dude. he's a budding star. Yes. Uh, I mean, in every way. From the way that he handles the media, which is hilarious. I saw the news on the meow thing, but yeah. also just like he's soft spoken, but he he's on the field. He 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 enjoys himself, like he has fun. But then in the media, he, he's pretty low key. I, I love he's already one of my favorite players in baseball, and now they've got another guy just like him. Yes. Like what the hell? Von Grissom is just like him. Like he's got he's got all of the explosive tools on the field. And then he seems chill as hell off the field. Uh, the Braves, they're my NL pick, and I'm going to stick with it the rest of the season. They are my National League pick. The Dodgers, the only way they don't make it, I think, is if the Dodgers look like the, the freakazoid Dodgers with Dustin May and Walker Bueller and whatever. I think the Braves can stack up with anybody, and now they've got these youngsters. So will you Sharpie Braves Astros in with me? Uh, that's my plan. I think that we're running it back. Okay. From last year. I Perfect. Yeah. I'm sharpieing in Braves Astros too. And I'll Which ask Peter on tomorrow's nightmare. Show. I think, I think that's MLB's nightmare. Oh my God. Yeah. Dodgers Yankees would be their dream. Uh, Matt's Braves Yankees. Astros is their nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. And, and look, I, I, I would probably be okay with almost any world series outcome because they're all I was talking about this at the game yesterday with Peter, like baseball's in a really good spot where all of the big markets are playing pretty well. Even Philadelphia, you got Baltimore, which I know it's not a big market financially, but that yeah. is a huge fan base that really rallies behind their guys. I, I I love all of the teams that are kind of making their way, even the Clevelands of the world. Like we saw what Cleveland did rallying behind that team when they made a run. Like there's some very exciting, even you know, tweener fan base franchises that I think when you when they get going, it could be a really, really well watched postseason. When you say that the big markets are playing well, do not look at the Angels. Do not look at the Cubs. Uh, you can look at the Red Sox if you want, if your definition the Cubs of hurts. well looks the different. Cubs hurts. The Cubs hurts for sure. Yeah, Cubs hurts. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Angels are the second fiddle in L.A. Both New York teams are good, which is massive for baseball. Massive. Both New York teams being good and the Dodgers being good is exactly what baseball needs because you, you cover New York and L.A. easy. All Toronto's they're missing is good. the Cubs and Red Sox. Toronto's really good, and Toronto is a massive market, like it or not. I don't know if you have this weird patriotism complex going on if you listen to this. No, no, Toronto. Apparently, Toronto blows everybody's TV ratings out of the water. The whole country. Um, St. Louis. Yeah. Great. Um, we talk about the Dodgers. We talk about the Padres. They're both great. Like it's it's a really good spot overall. I, I think we don't usually have this many bigger markets, and then even the smaller market teams are big fan bases. The Orioles make the playoffs. I promise you oh, the ratings gonna are going to be phenomenal. Yeah. Um, obviously the White Sox not being great. Both Chicago teams hurts. That it yeah. definitely, definitely hurts. But the White Sox are still relevant. <laughs> They're Which two and crazy. a half game. 
Imagine if they made, I'm not beating a dead horse, but imagine if they made a move that, that would have been pretty nuts. Uh, yeah. 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 I'm with you, man. And then, um, uh, another fan base with potential is Seattle. I, I really yes. think that there's a lot of helium there. And I, and I remember, you know, watching them even on like the Felix Hernandez days yeah. where I went to, a, I went to a, a Felix day. They did the castle court. What would they call it? Uh, uh, the King's court, castle, King's court, whatever. It was electric, man. Yeah. Like th- there's, there's a, there's a fan base there. It's, I, Seattle. We've talked about it in the basketball realm because they deserve a team. Yeah. It's a good sports town. It really is. It is. Uh, so I, I, I think the baseball's in a pretty good spot for this postseason. I think we're going to see big time ratings. And by the way, attendance, I'm going to tweet about it later. Uh, the exact breakdown it's up across the game yes. uh, month after month. So a lot of good things happening in baseball. Dude, right I, I saw a uh, Mets attendance. I saw attended city field through the roof. Everybody's going to city field right now. I, they, I, I went piece, both games. Yeah, both they games want a piece of trumpets. I, it was, it was electric, man. I mean, we paid a lot of money to go on Saturday. It's okay. uh, but I, I was willing to bite the bullet. Cause I'm getting that, that little, uh, a little procedure done, uh, tomorrow yeah um so i won't be able to walk for like a month so yeah. i was like you know what like i'm gonna pay a little extra and i'm gonna watch Degrom pitch yeah. shit man it was worth every penny i'm sure damn that is what it was Degrom and nola nola went eight Degrom nola went was six shut out spectacular nola was the game was two hours and 18 minutes dude i i get off on a pitcher's duel i love it was it was a duels. fun one too i it really was because fans every time there were two strikes crowds on their feet you know, yeah. rooting for Degrom strikeout. Nola was just awesome, matching the intensity. Uh, you know, good baseball defensively. Still some hits scattered around. I thought it was just a really, really good baseball game. And you got Diaz being at City Field for Diaz's entrance. What's that like? Because I know Javi Reyes is working on something for the site on um, you know, trumpets versus Enter Sandman and Hell's Bells. Who is you know Trevor Hoffman, obviously. But that entrance, I read I read a good piece on The Athletic talking to Blaster Jacks and uh, Timmy Trumpet, the yeah. Dutch EDM group that put it together. They were like, I don't know how baseball works. Um, and they said, I want to meet Edwin at some point because they obviously closely monitor how their songs are performing. And they see spikes every time the Mets win a ball game. What this guy has done and what this song has done for City Field and for Mets fans is hilarious. I'm sure you guys, um, a decent amount of you guys saw a, a story in the New York Post and NBC New York. A bunch of New York media outlets picked it up. Um, there is a guy who said if he got a certain number of likes on Twitter, that would be his wedding reception walkout song. Like they would walk out to trumpets. That was my boss in Fort Wayne, John Nolan, who is a Mets fan, who's the lead broadcaster for the Tin Caps. He he said, uh, yeah, if this gets 3,900 likes, we'll make this our wedding entry song. And it blew it out of the water. And like Edwin Diaz retweeted it and all that. Like this song has become a phenomenon among baseball fans. It's way cooler than Enter Sandman, dude. It, it is. And, and again, I, I'm not trying to, it's, it has nothing to do with comparing, you know, players and Enter Sandman became just like the the mo for one of the greatest the greatest to ever do it what is electric about about this i think with edwin diaz is just kind of everything it, it represents it wouldn't be electric i texted you this too wouldn't be electric if it was some random closer like hunter strickland coming in to shut the door for the reds you know this is it is what it is because one it does the, the song does slap it is yes it is song is sick and it, it fires you up and it gets you feeling good but two 
It's because Edwin Diaz is a 1-3-3 ERA. And when you hear that song, it means the game is fucking over. Like, that is why it is so electric and why people are rallying behind it. Is this year with Edwin Diaz, that song means game over. That song means it is a win. It's in the bag. And that's why people are really rallying behind it too, right? Because he's not coming in when you're down three runs. He's not coming in even when when you're down one usually. So that is the thing that puts it over the top. And then the fact that it's catchy and it slaps and he's striking out 56% of batters or whatever it is now, it is one of the cooler things. And baseball needs more things like that. So I love it. Being there for it was awesome. Fans love it. Um, You could just kind of see how it rallies everyone together. Everyone's dancing. The, the, the Mets are doing a great job of like, you know, marketing it. And yeah. uh, City Field is the place to be right now. I'll, I'll tell you that. Yankee Stadium, look, the Yankees are great. I know they're yeah. scuffling a little bit. Um, it's it's an unbelievable atmosphere there. I think City Field is the place to be in New York at the moment. Damn, that's crazy to say. Just wait till the Knicks are good. Okay, you know, I'll talk to you in 30 years. <laughs> all hail the garden, man. Jalen Brunson, he's not the savior. They went all in on Jalen Brunson and might get tampering problems for, for a guy that they could have got anyways for how much they paid him. That's crazy. Most money ever committed to a guy that has never made an all-star team. <laughs> I love that yeah, one. They, they, he unseated Mike Conley for that record. Yeah, um, true. Which is, which is pretty funny. Was there any other points we wanted to, to hit on today? Uh, Drew Rasmussen, eight perfect. I, I think it's funny, like, how many quality starters Milwaukee had? Because remember Rasmussen and JP Fireisen, who has been a good reliever over the last couple of years, went back in the Willie Adamas deal. Like that was mutually beneficial. If Rasmussen can be good, we're looking at a four next year in Drew Rasmussen because you've got McClanahan as the one, Glasnow is the two, a healthy Boz is the three, and Rasmussen is the four, who is great and has a four-pitch mix. He was fastball slider, uh, curveball changeup, I want to say that was Rasmussen. Fastball cutter slider curveball, so no changeup. Uh, he was fastball cutter for the most part, and uh, fastball was what? It was around 96, cutter was around 89. Like That mix, I think, is so good, and he was pinpoint with his command for eight perfect that only took 79 pitches. Um, but I mean, Milwaukee, if Milwaukee held, and they didn't have Adamas, and obviously like hindsight's twenty twenty. But you could be looking at Burns, Woodruff, Peralta, Lauer, Ashby, Drew Rasmussen, Fire Isaac. Like they are so good at developing pitchers right now. Yeah. No, and and, and I think that the Brewers made the right move still, right? They cash in on guys that they developed to, to get their shortstop. And where are they without Willie Adamas? My goodness. Uh, but the Rays, they opt to, to not go with a prospect return from a system that was even more barren at the time yeah. and go for two arms that they felt like could help him at the big league level. Fire icing was great before going down on the IL. And this is, I'm glad you brought up the Rays because I do want to give the Rays credit. We joke about how, how bad the lineups are that they put forward, but the amount of injuries that they've dealt with to be standing where they are standing are, are they ha- a half game in or out at this moment? I, whatever it is. What the Rays are doing at this point is incredible because they are missing Tyler Glass now. They are missing Shane Boz. They are missing Nick Anderson. They are missing J.P. Fireice and Josh Fleming, Andrew Kittredge. I mean, that's Matt Whistler. That's almost an entire really good bullpen. Mike Zanino is on the 60-day IL. Wander Franco hasn't played for like the entire year. Harold Ramirez, who was great, 
is now on the IL. Kevin Kiermeyer out for season. Manuel Margot, I, I believe, is out for season. Like that is a lot of their main core players here that are hurt for either this entire season, large portions of it, or the rest of the season. And somehow this team stays afloat. And Brandon Lau has been out the whole season too. He just came back. Somehow they stay afloat with Christian Betancourt, Isaac Paredes, uh, Taylor Walls, and Yu Chang, and G-Man Choi, and Yandy Diaz, and I don't know how they do it. But it's this is the peak of Ray's baseball right now, I think, um, in terms of how they're doing it. Yeah, so another dramatic reading of a lineup here. I, I sent this on, uh, I want to say it was on Saturday afternoon when it was McClanahan and D.L. Hall, who, by the way, immediately going back down, will come back as a reliever. D.L. Hall was not good in AAA this year. Obviously, no, no. the stuff is really good, like 100 with a fastball and a good slider, but he can't throw strikes right now. There is no rhyme or reason to where the baseball goes at a D.L. Hall's hand. So is he like Brash? Is he going to go down and come back up as a multi-inning reliever? Yes, it sounds like it. Also, Mike Elias saying he wants to, quote, significantly escalate the payroll is a hilarious way to say they're going to spend money. And I think they will. I think I just think it's a, yeah, you don't want to say spend money and they escalate the payroll. I think they will though, which is really exciting because I mean, they, they were in on a couple guys this, this off season and now have a little bit more money uh, to shuffle around here with Mancini off the books and things like that. Um, and their core being so young and affordable. I, I do think that DL hall, you know, it was kind of, they, they needed someone to get him through the rotation this time around. And so he made the spot start. He competed. Um, his stuff's insane. He's going to be really good. We talked about him a ton on the call up and you can get yeah. more of a breakdown there, but he's just not ready to start when you're walking five guys per nine and triple. It's just not going to translate at the big league level, but it can translate in two inning spurts. And I think out of a bullpen, he's also pretty close to hitting. I, they haven't made a concrete innings limit, but he's never thrown a hundred innings. I don't yeah. want him throwing a hundred innings at the big league level and high no. stress. So two inning spurts in the bullpen preserves his innings, which I think is the big reason why they're doing it. And he can work on things. At the big league level, still, you know, I'd like to see him making starts, but if we're going to cut him off, I'd rather him continue to throw through the rest of the year, work with a big league pitching coach. And let's, let's be honest. The Orioles have done a great job with their relievers. Um, I think that the deal Hall and their starters, they're, they're, yeah. it hasn't been a development problem. It's been a talent problem yes. uh, with all due respect uh, with the Orioles. And they have more talent coming up now. And those guys have been starting to throw pretty well. Um, yeah. So um, I, I like what they're doing there with him. And I, and I think that's the right way to handle him. Well, and the tough part is he's down in Norfolk to, to learn how to be a reliever right now. So he's going to come that back I up. Don't get. Yeah. That I, I, that don't, I don't get. Uh, that but might just maybe, be to, for, for roster situation here, like where maybe a guy makes a start and then they switch it back around. There's so much chess that goes into it. At, yeah. I, I really, unless I can sit down and digest their whole 40 man situation, I typically, you know, don't want to talk too much about it because usually there's so much bullshit that they have to deal with. Right. Um, but I love the aggressiveness there again from another team that hasn't ruled out calling up Gunnar Henderson either, who I have a sneaky suspicion has a good chance to be our number one prospect on the top 100 update. He's, he's one of the finalists. Um, that's a guy that could be a game, game changer for them at the big league level. Yeah. I wanted to get your thoughts on the Rays before we wrap this thing up. Yeah. They could get Tower Glass now back. They will get Wander Franco back. They just got Brandon Lau back in the in the fold here. Um, they have guys that they could call up as well that I really think could make an impact on the mound and in the field. Jonathan Aranda being one of them. Aranda is one of the league's Bradley. leading hitters. Yeah. In, uh, Taj Bradley in on the yeah. mound. Uh, they have some other nasty relievers that they could bring up. Uh, what do you think? Could this team 
put it together at just the right time here. And they're already playing decent ball. Yeah. They're going to turn Taylor Walls into Wander Franco. They're going to turn, you know, they're basically whoever was playing second base for them predominantly now is Brandon Lau. So Isaac Paredes was playing third. I guess Taylor Walls was playing a little. I don't even know who was playing second for them. So this was their lineup that they ran out on Saturday. And and I looked at this and I said, how is this team any good? But they're a game and a half clear of the final wild card spot. So they hold that final wild card spot by a game and a half. Yu Chang was the leadoff man and the second baseman. Like Yu Chang couldn't hit anything when he was with Pittsburgh, got DFA'd, picked up, and all of a sudden he sort of kind of started to figure it out, but he's still hitting 218. Yanni Diaz in the two spot, Arosa Reina hitting third, Isak Paredes, the cleanup man. Isak Paredes should not be your cleanup man. Um, Francisco Mejia was the five hitting catcher. Christian Betancourt was playing first. Jose Siri in center. Deity, but he's, he's so hitting a buck 73. He's incredible, he's so too. So good out there. It's crazy. he's incredible. He just can't hit. Uh, Roman Quinn was in a major league lineup playing right, and Taylor Walls line. was hitting got, ninth and playing short. Roman Quinn was released by the Marlins. Yeah. Um, yeah. I so is that a no? So it is obviously this team will get better. Um, I just don't see them getting past the ALDS. Like, I don't see a world where this is a legitimate contending team because this lineup, even when you add Franco and Lau and Harold and Harold and, and maybe Aranda and maybe Lau or Low, Josh Lowe, like, I, I don't think this team is good enough to out-hit the Astros or the Yankees because you run into the Astros or the Yankees at some point in the postseason. They can't get past them, I don't think. You know, the only way I think they they could is, and I think they're going to make a playoff push now, though, and make it hard on the, on the, on the Orioles, which is the, the tough part. If they had glass now, and I know you talked about this a couple episodes ago, they had Glass now, Boz, and and you know just just the top end guys. McClanahan is obviously. If they okay. were running at a four of McClanahan, Glass now, Boz, Rasmussen, I would say yes, they, they could, could absolutely get through the American. Because that's one thing that J- Jeff Cohen I know he says on outside the box is like a team can do anything in the postseason if they have a three headed monster on their in their rotation. They can do anything, um, and I, that would have been a pretty that would have been a four headed monster. Uh, so I, I, we're not going to get that, you know, fully back this year, even though they haven't ruled out a return to glass. Now uh, I agree. I think they're going to make a good push though to the postseason with the reinforcements that they're getting. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be hard to compete with some of those best teams. I hope they call up Curtis Mead. Curtis yeah. Mead is, is, is a guy that is just hit and hit and hit and hit. And I think he gives them a layer that they really need. He can play first. He can play second. He can play third. He can, he can pretty much play anywhere. And he's been one of the best offensive guys in the minors over the last two years. He's doing it in triple again this year. Like, call this man up. Yeah, he and Aranda, I want as the two. Yep. I hope they do. All right. That's it for me. Um, Peter and I will talk uh, best performers of August and hit a couple more headlines for you tomorrow. Cool? Sounds good to me. See you guys.